From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Rocco T. Thompson. You've seen his writing in places like Remorgue, Daily Dead, and Slant, among many others. And he is also one of the co-hosts of the Lady Killers, A Feminine Rage podcast. Welcome to the show, Rocco. I had the pleasure of meeting you this year, and I'm so excited you're on the podcast. Yes, it was so lovely to meet you, IRL. Terry, I have not had the pleasure yet, but thank you both for having One me. Day. Really excited to have you on. We've been wanting you for a while, and then Mary Beth saw you at, at um, Fantastic Fest. I was like, this, we need to get him on. <laughs> I did notice, as I was doing some Google searching, that you did see Infest, is it Infested? Oh, yeah. Or Verminez. Verminez. <laughs> I did see Infested. Uh, that's become like a curse among this podcast. It keeps coming up because I, really? I, probably, I don't really want to see it because of spiders. I'm mortified of spiders. Really? So that's his worst nightmare. Uh-huh. And I was like, if you see this uh-huh. movie, you will die. Like, this uh-huh. is not a movie for Terry. Yeah, I think it's probably the most traumatizing spider movie ever made. Um, would you agree, Mary Beth? <laughs> I would. I absolutely would. I was fucking freaked out. I'm not scared of spiders at all. And I was like... It is truly astonishing what they do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then, Ro- and Rocco, I think, were you with me? Did we see it together? Uh, you might have been in the theater. I'm not sure if were we were together. Were you with me when I walked outside and immediately a bug flew into my into my hair and I started <laughs> yes! screaming? I thought you were with me because we walked outside and a giant bug, like they have these, I think it's their roaches. Is it, was it roach in Austin? There's like, you'll tell me, you tell me, Rocco. There's like, there were like big ass bugs around. Well, the, like. It- I'm from South Carolina. In South Carolina, we would call them palmetto bugs. Palmetto bugs. Yes, but I don't know if that's what they call them in Texas. But yes, it's a roach, essentially. Some Yeah, my goddamn hair. It was right after the bug movie, and it was... 
absolutely terrible and i was i would have ceased to be i was like well that's guerrilla marketing if i've ever seen it so and rocco got to experience that i i believe so um that fantastic (laughs) fest planning gets better and better every year and more immersive (laughs) and more immersive wow so immersive 40x movie theaters when you can have bugs flying at your face exactly when they walk outside exactly jesus christ anyway all right (laughs) Okay, so I, w- I want to hear about the Lady Killers podcast. Uh, can you sure. can you tell listeners a little bit about it if they've if they haven't listened to it yet? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Lady Killers came about because Jen Adams, who is a previous guest on this show, actually, mm-hmm. um, podcasting queen. I you know we sort of struck up a bit of a friendship um, through Rue Morgue. I was previously the online managing editor for a couple of years. Um, I still do some you know editing for our Halloween issue um, when I can, and I. I was, you know, I got, I loved her writing, loved her voice. Um, and she's just so fucking easy to work with. A slut she's for a one deadline. She's the best writers out there, everybody. I just need everyone to know that Jen she's Adams great. is one of the best writers and the most like consistent and prolific writers out there. She writes a column for Durant Central and I love that woman forever. Yes. And she <laughs> needs to be, very good. <laughs> she needs to be told it often and she deserves to be told it often. Jen. So. We love you. <laughs> we love you. Yeah, so I got her to pitch for the magazine some. I was like, I need you in here. You're amazing and you're so consistent. And, and you know, grammar is one thing, but being able to have a voice and have a perspective and actually say something is a whole nother bag and she had that um so we kind of struck up a friendship saw a twitter post one day where she was like would anyone like to do a uh podcast with me on uh female killers and i I slid right into her dms and i said totally fine if you only want female identified co-hosts but throwing my name in there and um she was like no i'd absolutely love to have you so um it is me jen adams sammy kuykendall and uh, May Schultz. So Sammy um, has been on the Losers Club podcast a bit here and there. Um, and she runs the Losers Club uh, Twitter. And then May Schultz uh, edits Halloweenies, I believe. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So three ladies and moi. I call myself the token male. And, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, it was a good idea for Jen. We had, you know, we couldn't believe that there was no podcast covering female killers already yeah that is shocking (laughs) yeah seems absurd (laughs) and i feel really spoiled and lucky because i've always been interested in podcasting and getting involved in this but i'm really a virgin to this and the three of them are old hat at it um you know may is an extraordinary editor knows all the technical bits and bobs. Um, Sammy is very involved in that world as well. And Jen has started many a podcast. So um, I'm very grateful to be a part of it. Um, And yeah, we're just getting started. We are already part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. (laughs) We got a lot of really positive uh, response from our first couple episodes. Um, I think we're maybe on six or seven now. We went bi-weekly to weekly pretty quick. Yeah, and it's I'm having a blast with it. What's your favorite episode so far? Oh, the easy God. to choose because there's not a <laughs> Well, our first one on Friday the 13th is really fun just because obviously Mrs. Voorhees is like the grand dame of Lady Killers. Iconic. Like, yes, exactly. Um, and it's also really fun just to hear how excited we are um, and how, you know, we're still sort of getting to know each other, but that initial meeting uh, for that episode was really just 
really enriching and exciting and like really gave us like it was like rocket fuel <laughs> we were like this is great we have a great rapport everything um please be uh gentle and patient with the sound drops on that episode though because I, they were not working they were not good <laughs> so. you know what we are very familiar with we uh, have... early editing and recording podcast issues uh-huh. don't worry because boy oh boy did not know how to record and my fire alarm goes off a couple times in my old apartment yeah, yeah so Oh my god. That's all that, that's something that happened. When you're podcasting from your house, that it's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Um, yes. But Ugh. we also just dropped an episode on Revenge today, Coralie Farjat's, mm. uh, I think, 2016 <gasps> yes! film. I need to watch that. I need to watch that. I need to listen. <laughs> and she retweeted it today, which was really I cool. Saw. Uh, yeah. That is so cool. Oh yeah. my god. So, uh, yeah, we're really enjoying it. And, um, yeah, I, like I said, uh, it, it it's about female identified killers my co-hosts are all females um and i'm just grateful to be a part of it and be like sort of the male voice in the room even though i am a queer man um i you know female killers are near and dear to my heart i've previously yeah. written a piece for room org on um female slasher villains of the 1980s mm. and yeah i was always more interested in quote unquote girly things I avoided, (laughs) you know, being a cinephile, I avoided like Westerns and war movies and things like that. I've gotten around to them now, but those were hetero boy stuff. Um, I was much more into, you know, old Hollywood, screen sirens, um, musicals, things like that as a kid. So and we just love got, the girlies, the gays, yeah, you know? absolutely. <laughs> so when I got more into horror, you know, female killers were my jam, and they continue to be. So I'm very lucky to be a part of it. Wait, so then that kind of leads me to then how did you get into horror? Like, you said, you sounded like you were big into movies. Have yeah. you always been into movies? Like, how did that, how did this all start for you? Yeah, so listening back to some of your of episodes of this show, um, I feel like I got into horror kind of late compared to most people. Okay. I always kind of liked spooky things as a kid. Like I loved Halloween. Um, that comes from my mom, especially (laughs) she, uh, she always talks about, and we have videos of this. Um, she would dress up as this terrifying witch with a big fake nose and a big chin um, when she was at her supermarket job, because they were required to dress up in those days, and she would make children cry. (laughs) That is amazing. Talk about iconic. That is amazing. (laughs) And we have a video of us at home. Uh, It was the early 90s, so Smashing Pumpkins is playing in the background, and my sister (laughs) is is like, uh, my little sister is terrified on the ground, and my mom is just (laughs) running through the house in her witch costume cat. Cackling. It is amazing. Found footage. Found footage horror. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is it is absolute found footage horror. Like the truest version of found footage horror. So yeah, sh- uh, I've always liked spooky things, but I think I was kind of a you know going back through my personal evolution uh, for this podcast. You know, I, you I did a lot of thinking, and I think I was kind of a scaredy cat kid. My first movie in theaters, and this is funny because. My partner has the worst memory and we always joke about it, but I remember everything. So my first movie was Jurassic Park and I was three years old. Oh, yeah. And I in saw the it twice. Theater? Yes, I saw it twice because I remember the second time I went with my dad, we came in. Uh, I don't know. I, I, so we came in at the end of it. I don't know if in those days it, things would just play over and over again. That's kind of how I 
recall, yeah. but we came in at the mm-hmm. end and then waited for it to start again and the film was broken, whatever. Um, but yeah, so my first movie was Jurassic Park. But then by the time we get around to the film we're talking about today and this stuff, I was kind of a spooked kid. So I kind of avoided horror for a long time. Uh, my first real horror movie when I got up the guts to watch it was The Ring Ooh, in okay. 2002. <laughs> yeah, so that was a rough one. How old were you? Um, I think so. 2002, I would have been 12. Oh, God, that's pretty. That's that. OK, prime age to watch that, but also like mm-hmm. prime movie to really destroy yourself at a formative age. Yeah, yeah, it was rough. It was really scary for me. I think we also I at a sleepover, we watched the Platinum Dunes remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, <laughs> which was rough. Lovely. But I don't think I, I really don't think that one fucked me up in the same way. But I didn't take horror seriously until I sort of got into adulthood. Oh. Yeah, so I I was always really into movies. Like I said, my parents were, you know, they were also big cinephiles. Like, you know, they had copies of, like, I remember VHS tapes of Naked Lunch and My Own Private Idaho and Fargo in our cabinet and stuff. So, like, my dad's favorite movie is Boogie Nights. (laughs) All right, cool. So So we watch it it on Christmas sometimes. So wow, nothing says happy holidays like Donnie, not Donnie, Mark Wahlberg hanging dong. <laughs> okay, yeah. it's so funny that you say that that you watch this on Christmas because here's the thing. I remember when that came out on, on V, I think it was probably VHS given the time. And I remember watch, renting it and watching it only because I knew that he would, that there was a giant dick at the very end, right? <laughs> and so I watched this and my friends know that we had watched it and we had talked about it. And when my one of my friends came over to my house, she asked my parents if they had seen it. And they're like, yeah, we've seen it. And then she oh. starts talking about the dong scene. And no. I'm just like, <laughs> no, <laughs> hiding. Yeah. So I don't have the same relationship to that movie oh as you God. do, but that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. My parents were really permissive. And this is really funny because uh, around this same time that Men in Black came out, for example, I remember I I was not that way. I'm still, my parents would tell you even today that I was the only adult in my household, even as a child. (laughs) That's that's hilarious. So I have a vivid memory of my father bringing (laughs) home a VHS of um, The Fifth Element. And I I was six or seven at this point, okay? And I asked him, is it family friendly? And he said, just to placate me, yes. And I said, did you ask the people at the store, at the Blockbuster, (laughs) if it was family friendly? Because I knew not to trust him. And he said, yes, I did. Literally just to shut me up. Um, So I was such a little (laughs) wiener about stuff. (laughs) That is amazing. You were a little wiener. You were a little weenie. I was like, yes. imagine like alfalfa, just like yeah. a little, like a cute, like an incredibly well-meaning sweetheart, but also just like a stickler for rules. Yes. And I exactly. love that. That same year, uh, we I remember seeing Titanic in the theater with my mom and, um, you know, the topless nude scene came up and I covered my eyes and she said, it's okay, Rocco, you can watch. But I did not uncover my eyes. <laughs> and in that moment, she knew. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if it was Leo, it would be a different story. <laughs> you covered your own eyes! <laughs> I mean, this has come up in the podcast before, so too, because funny. I love when, I was, when I was a kid, my parents were fine initially. Like, they got mm-hmm. more strict as I, as, as I got older for some reason. But when I was yep. young, 
violent movies were okay, but no nudity. And so I mm. had to, and so because of covering my eyes for them, anytime I would go see a movie as a kid, like if I was over at someone's house and there was a movie and there had to be nudity, I would cover my eyes because that's what you were supposed there to do. So I, nudity. I can, I can, I can relate. <laughs> but yeah, I was that kid forever. Like even I went to Catholic school and in seventh, eighth grade. Oh, okay. <laughs> and all, once you said Catholic school, it all clicked. It all made sense after you said that. Okay, but listen, the kids in Catholic school, they were they were rough, okay? Like, oh, even in God, Catholic yeah. school. Like, oh, I, God, yeah. <laughs> but even in, like, 6th, 7th, 8th grade, when kids started, like, fucking swearing, I was like, guys, we shouldn't be talking like this. So, <laughs> it was a little <laughs> narc. <laughs> That's amazing. Were you, did they bully you? Um, surprisingly, I was not bullied that much. I did get bullied by this one guy. Because I said something mean about his mom, which I honestly deserved. So I didn't. I didn't get any gay bashing or anything. I just had a mouth on me. No, I mean, it was more. It was more just like you being this, like the tattletale and like that guy. I was like, did you get bullied for that? Some kids are Catholic school kids are brutal, man. Yeah, my, yeah. I didn't go to Catholic school, but my pa- both sides of my parent, my parents did, and I know. I know. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a strange time. But no, I'm very lucky I didn't get much bullying. So that was good. Okay, cool. Good. So since you liked some spooky things, but you hadn't seen horror movies, were you a scaredy cat as a kid? Yeah, I think so. Um, I really do think I was. Uh, And it's funny because I was thinking about, you know, from Jurassic Park, I was just thinking of my own personal timeline, right? Jurassic Park didn't Mm -hmm. scare me, obviously. I remember having seen Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands and things like that with my parents. And those things didn't really scare me. But then somewhere around six or seven, it just started to hit me, like being afraid of everything. Uh, Oh, I wonder. That's so, okay. This is, that's so interesting. I wonder it's like when you hit a certain age, like you all of a sudden realize, oh, this is scary. Yeah. Like not that not that you can't obviously be scared when you're younger, but I wonder if there's like something cognitively, I don't know anything about like child development, but I wonder yeah. if there's like a cognitive thing too as like your brain is growing and like maybe things that you weren't going to be scary before you find you can't, you better understand the fear factor. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I huh. I think so. It's it's also I think an awareness of loss and death kind of starts to creep in. Yeah, mm. what Okay, this is a really dark question. Yeah. <laughs> At what do you guys remember when you first kind of became aware of death? That's <laughs> like a concept. Do you yeah, that? I do. Terry, you want to take that one first? Is this I too do. Much? Is this too no, much no, to talk no. about? No, I love this shit. Go for I'm it. I'm just curious. The first time I came cognizant of death, and I actually wrote about this. So, like in my in my college class, my college years, I had we I took a, a memoir writing class for because mm-hmm. I had to take some kind of creative writing thing, and it it fit into my schedule. So we read a bunch of memoirs, and then we had to write some short pieces. And one of the pieces that I wrote was about the first time when I was a kid, and I realized death, and it was like contrasting between being a kid and then losing a friend when I was sixteen. And like when I was a kid, the first time I remember death and remembering it out of sight of something like that happened in movies was um, a little bird that I found uh, like flapping on the side of the road. I think I might have <gasps> talked about this on the podcast. We've talked about it, this before because wow. we have very similar stories. We do have very similar stories. Yeah. And it died. And I remember digging a hole and burying it. Mm-hmm. And then a few days later, wanting to check in on it and then oh. un undigging it and then seeing maggots <gasps> crawling through its body and just being like oh this is death and f- like freaking out and yeah terry that is like something from a movie 
Ter- and Terry yeah. and I had the exact same experience, which is even weirder because I had a same experience of we buried, I, I found a baby, a baby bird, a dead baby bird. I buried it. Oh and God. then I wanted to see if it went to heaven and I dug it up and it was still there. And I was like, wait, it didn't go to heaven. And then I realized when you die, you don't go, you go under the ground. <laughs> and I was like four and I was like, when did you reveal this shared experience to each other? Was it before or after the podcast or were you too fated to be, <laughs> you know, I, we were fated because we didn't, it, it like came up years later. Cause like, wow. that, is not yeah. a, that is not a story that you like <laughs> present to somebody like super Hi, early. Terry, and the first time Hi, I experienced um, death was a bird in Alaska. <laughs> like, but we were talking, I don't even remember, but we brought it up when we were like, wait, did we have the exact same experience as children? <laughs> and we did, uh, which is fucked up. So we're soulmates is really what it is at the end of the day. That is wild. What about you, Rocco? Did you also bury a baby bird and <laughs> dig it back up and realize that death is an, is, is, is a finite or a final? <laughs> really nothing that poetic or dramatic. <laughs> happened to me i hate to say but i i don't really know when it started for some reason this is coming to me though um because i remember in second grade we had to write a poem about a color and i was sort of a serious morbid kid like really like i don't know if morbid's (laughs) the right word maybe i also suffer from depression and i think i have my whole life so Um, i was a very serious minded a little dark as a kid so i remember i wrote i chose black because of course i did like a proper little goth child and (laughs) i remember the line was black is death black is sadness black is the color of a mad scientist's madness (laughs) Okay, that's amazing, though. All right. <laughs> that's incredible. And my that teacher, my teacher, instead of, like, getting me counseling or some help, was like, why don't you put some nice things that are black in there? Like, <laughs> cats or... And I, and I remember writing about my, my dad's sweatshirt or sweater. I don't really remember, but I kind of wanted it to be dark and eerie, and they, the teacher ruined it for me. Um, but yeah, so I kind of... I think I've been scared of death for a very long time. <laughs> So did you like, did you read spooky stuff? Were you, were you a big reader as a kid? <sighs> yes, I was a big reader. Um, I don't think I read spooky stuff very okay. much. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a history with Goosebumps or anything. Um, cool. I was interested in the covers. Um, I discovered Stephen mm. King sort of in late high school. I mean, uh, early high school. Um, love that shit now. But yeah, I was all sort of, I was intrigued, but a little too nervous to really dive in. Oh, okay. Until cool. I was a little older, I think. <laughs> cool. Well, so do you, now that you love horror and obviously mm-hmm. are like a massive fan, do you still find yourself getting scared at all from the horror genre? I really do not. Um, we talked about yeah. on our podcast a lot about this. You know, it's funny once you get over that hump of this movie isn't scary, so it's not good is when you really start to see how great the horror genre is, I think. Yeah. Um, wow. When, wait, that's such a good way to distill it. I don't think I've ever actually is. thought about it like that. Like what? Huh? Yeah. Because I'll, I'll return to things now that I watched when I was in high school that I was like, Oh, that wasn't scary, but I missed all the good stuff about it. Right. Cause I was just looking for that pulse pounding feeling. I was looking mm-hmm. to be disturbed. Um, 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, all of us are involved with, you know, we all write and things like that. And like the least, the least interesting comment you can, uh, the least interesting criticism you can make of a horror movie is that it's not scary or that it is scary. Like, duh. <laughs> so um, I really don't find things scary now. If there is something that's going to scare me, um, it's kind of like uh, uh, alien horror going back to Men in Black, okay. which we'll talk about. Oh, okay. Okay. That that will really get to me. And that kind of, I think, feeds into my fear of death, existential fears, you know, sense of meaninglessness, being teeny tiny, a teeny tiny speck on a rock hurtling through <laughs> an empty void. Damn, so. Rocco's been having existential crises out the moon. Good <laughs> lord. Yep. Since I'm having an existential crisis. I love it. Exactly. And I think that feeds into the Catholicism also. You know, I, I'd always thought yeah. that was bullshit. I always was not into it, but something about, you know, if 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 Catholicism isn't real, what is real? And is there meaning at all? And alien horror is kind of like, no, there isn't. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. Have you seen fire in the sky? Oh God. Fire in the sky. Yeah. That is, a, what it, that is the strangest movie in the world because it's boring for 98%. Yes. <laughs> and then it and then has that bitch, scene. Yeah. Bitch slaps you with the scariest alien scene you've ever seen. And then kind of just like leaves Dizzles. you. That's it. <laughs> It's done. <laughs> yeah. But Truly that abduction weird. scene, as someone that's not even afraid of aliens, like <laughs> terrifies me. And so I every time someone says aliens, I'm always curious if that's if they've seen that one because it's um <laughs> that moment is great. It is. But what do are there any movies that have scared you recently? Anything that has kind of taken oh, you back God. to that childhood fear? Recently, I think Annihilation is one that I really Yeah, all right. Except existential <laughs> horror. That'll yeah. that'll do you. Yeah, that Absolutely. one really fucks me up. Um, Event Horizon always, I mean, as cheesy as it is, um, there's still something really at the heart of that that I find deeply disturbing. Have uh, you seen No One Will Save You? Not yet. What are your thoughts? Okay, I really like it. And I think if it's Alien a blast. Horror, if you like, if Alien Horror gets to you, that's why I'm curious because it's really good Alien Horror. Like yeah. I haven't seen good Alien Horror in a bit. I think Aliens are hard. I think Aliens are really good when they're good, but when they're bad, they're fucking bad. <laughs> so um, it does it really well in an actually pretty terrifying way. I think. Yeah, I will check it's it good. out. I, I I tried to watch. Um, is it Eduardo Sanchez, the director of the original Blair Witch Project? He yeah. made he made an alien movie in like the two thousands that had a pretty good reputation, and I watched that, and I was really Did disappointed. <laughs> so, oh, I believe it's called idea. Altered. Maybe Altered might be the title. Oh, because uh, in my like, brain I was like, oh, it'll be like Blair Witch, but with aliens, and oh, it yeah. was <laughs> yeah, not that. Now oh, the same group of men will spend a night together in terror. <laughs> Amazing. Is it found footage? It is not. It is oh. It is the direct opposite of what you would want the movie to be. <laughs> the disappointment in that simple O coming yeah. out of Mary Beth. <laughs> no time. She has no time for anything that's not found footage. Fuck it. <laughs> Fuck it. Um... <laughs> Okay, uh, well, now that we were, t- we're talking about aliens, we gotta get a yes. new scarred for life pick. Okay, Rocco, yes. what movie did you bring with you today? <laughs> okay, I brought Barry Son- Sonnenfeld's 1997 masterpiece, Men in Black. Here, Here come, come the Men in Black. 
Galaxy Defenders. <laughs> yes. We are talking about fucking Men in Black, a movie I have not watched in forever, but was one of my favorites as a child. If you are not familiar with Men in Black, please go watch it on Hulu right now. But in the film, uh, Will Smith plays a police officer who joins a secret organization that polices and monitors extraterrestrial interactions on Earth. All right. So you've sort of teased it a little bit with your Mm -hmm. fear of aliens. Uh, So everything's starting to come together in my mind, at least. But give us your horror story. When did you see this? How did you see it? What about it terrified you? Give us your Scarred for Life reason. Okay. So my mother would take me on movie dates. I remember the same year we we saw um, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, things like that. So she took me to see Men in Black. And... Yesterday, I watching it back, I had a shock of recognition. Like, I was scared pretty much from the jump. Um, when that the jumper's eyes do that thing, like his he blinks his inner <gasps> eyelids yeah. or whatever. I, 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 my, I hadn't seen this movie in a decade or more. Like, my body remembered, like, this was when it started. <laughs> the body I keeps was scared. score, as they <laughs> say. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's a terrible joke. (laughs) No, okay. My my partner's a therapist. He'll love that you said that. So so I was scared from the fucking jump, okay? Then Vincent D'Onofrio, he was really the problem for me. Like, (laughs) deeply terrifying. I was shocked. Like, his entire skin comes off in that first scene. It's like an empty body sack. And I was like, no wonder I was terrified of this. Splatted on the ground. (laughs) And I was thinking, why was this triggering me much more than something like Jurassic Park would have? Of course, I was only I was three years older and I was much literally there. But like, those are monsters I can see. This is the first time I ever saw something that was like, no, monsters live inside people. Monsters can look like people. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And what happened as the movie went on is I was getting more and more scared. And my mother was laughing harder and harder at the movie. And in my six-year-old child brain, I remember the exact moment it happened. It's when Will Smith is, um, you know, shooting the little cricket gun. And he's, like, smacking into stuff because of the force Mm -hmm. of the gun. She was laughing so hard, I thought to myself, my mom's a fucking alien. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sitting in this theater, six years old, fucking scared shitless, and my mom thinks it's hilarious. She has to be an alien. So, <laughs> so I sit there and I'm having an internal struggle thinking, do I tell her I'm scared? She's she's an alien. She's one of the enemy. Like, what am I supposed to do here? So I think I made it till uh, Vincent D'Onofrio pulls the cabbie out of the car and he has the cockroach mouth. He's like, drive me. Ah, and his face opens up. <laughs> and I finally said, mommy, I'm too scared. We have to go. Oh. So that's the only movie I've ever left scared like that. And I don't have a recollection afterwards of, you know, how things, you know, how I felt. (laughs) But I remember it very deeply in my soul that thinking that my mother was an alien. Sorry, my dog. Blue, go away. Yeah, but I I thought my mother was an alien and I asked to be taken out. (laughs) Wow. Yep. (laughs) Mary Beth is... (laughs) Mary Beth is (laughs) speechless. That's just, it's so funny because like, 
this movie is hysterical, but I see why as a six-year-old you would think something like that. Like, my brain worked, and I did not have that exact experience, like, my brain worked in such a similar way that I was Mm -hmm. like, I could imagine being like, yep, that's an alien, like, it's real. (laughs) And yeah, this is a documentary. My mother. Yeah, this is a documentary. There's a, there's that my a giant roach on. living inside my mother. Yep. Um, yep. Did you ever revisit? Like, wh- how long before you watched it in its entirety? I feel like I eventually saw it when it came to VHS, so not that much later. Um, okay. Yeah. So, but but uh, you know, everything leading up to it. Also, watching it last night, just revisiting it, like my fear of death also comes in here because I, you know, like I said, I'd seen Beetlejuice, but you know, that's a, that's sort of a plucky, funny view of death. This is the first time those morgue scenes. I don't think I'd ever seen bodies on tables. Yeah. And, Uh you know, reaching inside of bodies and before the face even opens up and there's a tiny alien inside of there. Like, I think, I think just the sight of dead bodies in that way had me really triggered. So Watching it last night also, I'm surprised I lasted so long through it. Cause, cause yeah, like, me too. <laughs> yeah, when I asked to be taken out was is like 15 minutes from the end, maybe. Yeah, but... I was going to say, it's not that far. I was like, that's pretty close to the end. Like that, because like, you don't really see him as like a cockroach monster until the very end. Like you see his all fucked up body, but you don't see yeah. the full, like really the full form. Yeah, so I got through a lot of it, but I, I just remember it just was too intense for me. <laughs> And, and I think thinking my mom was was an alien kind of made me afraid to ask her to take me out. <laughs> but what else was I going to do? <laughs> so, like, what was the follow-up to that? Like, at what point did you realize she wasn't an alien? Like, I have so many questions. Like, how long were you scared of her? Like, what, like did, did you confront her? Like, how did this go down? <laughs> <laughs> my memory is hazy from there. Um, okay. I really don't know. But it, the funny thing is I, I didn't... kneecapped her and ran. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god but I, I i i definitely didn't tell her this until my adulthood i don't think okay. which is you did tell her eventually yes i did tell her um and you know she, she she just thought it was hilarious she wasn't sorry about it at all so <laughs> <laughs> well okay to be I fair though mom. like i can yeah. <laughs> yeah me too but i can understand sort of because like now that i'm thinking back on on rewatching this movie and like all of the little moments about like these humans that are famous like you see i don't know if you were cognizant of like sylvester stallone or Mm-mm. steven spielberg but like we Mm-mm. see the, these people that are famous people and it's like these are aliens these are aliens dennis rodman's an alien of course you probably <laughs> get to that scene <laughs> But I'm I'm just thinking about like how, you know, it's just very matter of fact that there's aliens and then you see the bodies with the aliens inside and you're just now thinking, shit, there's something that could be inside a body. Yeah, like, I get that. I get that. Yeah. Like I'm talking about like Jurassic Park was monsters I could see in front of my face, but this was something different. Oh, and I forgot the best part of the story. Not the best part, but the adult follow up, the, the sequel, the 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 denouement. I worked at an indoor cycling studio. Um, in Chicago for a couple years, uh, very 2010s. And who the fuck walks up and signs into a class? I look up and it's Vincent fucking D'Onofrio staring me in the face. <gasps> no! He pro- oh, oh my God, but he's so... He seems so cool, though. I bet you if you said something to him, he would have loved it. No, he was amazing. Um, he was really nice. But like, it was like my childhood fear, like a spike of ice <laughs> down my back. You're like, I don't know what to do. I know you can't yeah. hurt me. Don't worry, son. Vincent Gaffio can't hurt you. Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> 
Okay, wow. we got to talk about Vincent D'Onofrio, though. Sure, sure. Before, like, Mary Beth and I talk, talk about our first time watching this, because yeah. I did not realize until this watch that Vincent D'Onofrio was in this and that he was Edgar. I, I totally did not put that together. And so I was sitting down last night, and I was like, and I saw Vincent D'Onofrio was in it, and I was like, who the fuck is he playing? <laughs> and then I see Edgar come out, and I'm like, oh, he's a baby, was my first reaction. And then I was like, this guy is so good in this movie Edgar? with all mm-hmm. the physical acting that he has to do. It is so funny, but also so creepy. And the practical effects that they put on him are just so good. The, there's that scene early on when he first gets infected. And of course, his neck, you know, the first thing you're going to notice is his neck is like just hanging there. But Your his skin eyes, is hanging off your bones. I, I love her, by the way. Beatrice, is that <laughs> her name? Edgar? 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 I can never remember <laughs> the actress's it. name. What is it? She's, she's in everything. What's her name? She's, she's Shabon. Shabon Fallon Hogan. Please. Yes, Shabon Fallon Hogan, exactly. She is literally in everything, and she's always incredible. The house she that really Jack builds, Shabon Fallon Hogan. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. that's right. She was in a movie. Mm-hmm. I about that. But I love that his eyes are like like they're they're almost like pulled back. Like it's just it it's so uncanny valley and so creepy just immediately before he even starts to become more zombified as Unbelievable. I guess decaying <laughs> as he goes on. <laughs> <laughs> like that, like you said, the physicality is incredible, and the way he's able to make his neck. Like I'm assuming there's probably some <laughs> stuff going on there, like some extra skin. But like mm-hmm. just the way he's able to move his body, like I don't understand how he didn't get more like work doing this kind of stuff. Because like for a movie as silly as Men in Black is, like his physicality is like award winning, and I know oh, that absolutely. it's like so good to see, and like. The way he has to hold his face the whole time cannot be comfortable. Just like that. Like, I think he's trying... kind of. I think he's kind of an underrated actor in general. I yeah. yes, I agree one hundred percent. But I mean, yeah, especially in this. Obviously, there's some Rick Baker magic going on. Um, Rick but Baker, you re- man. You don't really see any of that, and it's really like all down to his performance. Um, but it is strange casting. Um, I mean, an Italian gentleman playing a. <laughs> A far uh, uh, pest control man out in the boonies. Um, yeah. Sort of strange. So I will say, though, the moment where he when he asks for sugar water and goes, water, more <laughs> sugar. My husband and I quote that to each other all the time. Like Whenever we have to put sugar in something, we go, more sugar. Like, it is just part of our lexicon now. And this movie is, like, imprinted on our brains. Like, we only... Like, I have not seen this movie in so long, and I have said that ever since I've seen it. I will never stop saying it, because it is so iconic to me, and so imprinted in my <laughs> like my, my fucking frontal lobe. Like, good god. Sugar water, not lemonade, or regular water, or tap water. <laughs> More water. It's just so good. It's so creepy. Yeah, he's so good. It's just so good. And and I mean, another tr- very traumatizing performance. He has two really great ones. Uh, the Cell. I've oh, actually I never seen, seen the, cell. the Cell. You guys, what the hell? I know. <laughs> I know. I know. You have to see I The know. Cell. I know. I know. Even I if, need to. You know, Tarsem is not Wait, my favorite, was, but go ahead. I was just I was just talking about The Cell with somebody. Oh no, we we talked about J Lo the other day. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. we talked about Anaconda and J Lo, and we are and I, we mentioned the cell. So maybe this is my sign to finally watch the cell. It's 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 a deeply flawed movie, but um, really kind of spectacular. That's my favorite kind of movie. So yeah. 
I think I've seen, of course, the the vivisection sequence. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's like all I know about it. Yeah, the thing about Tarsem is you're gonna get something that looks really amazing, but probably doesn't have a lot going on <laughs> underneath. <laughs> that's fine, honestly. I'm cool with that. So it's very funny, like your experience with Men in Black Rocco, because I was taken back watching this and remembering that I loved this movie because I wanted it to be real. I wanted aliens to like actually be around because like read into whatever childhood sadness you want. But like, I loved weird shit and I Mm -hmm. wanted like every weird, scary creature to be real. And so this was like so exciting to me, the idea (laughs) that like aliens were in existence and you could work like not realizing that they're basically like alien cops and like kind of suck and are like constantly surveilling everybody and like it's kind of like a weird hellscape but like in my head getting to work with aliens all the time like that sounded cool as shit like i was Mm -hmm. so stoked about that i did forget about is i the more sugar i say it all the time and i know that it's in men in black but then watching it i like forget that it's vincent d'onofrio and like the absolute like madness of this movie being a look at like an entire bureaucratic society (laughs) made up of um like of aliens that's paid for by weird um patents from aliens that they like <laughs> sold to the government like microwaves it's just, <laughs> and it's a it's, neutral zone like casablanca sort of weird <laughs> yes like, what is this we're, we're like we're like an intergalactic refugee camp yeah. and it's just like so bizarre and like i thought in my head not understanding that like it is an intergalactic refugee camp like that sounds neat I was, mm-hmm. like, so into the idea of working with aliens. I watch this movie all the time. <laughs> I, like... <laughs> anyway, yes. Well, I-, I love that idea, though, because, like, anything like this, like, how amazing would it be if there was more than this sad, dying planet that we're living on? You know, there's other stuff out there. I- that- that's why this sort of stuff does appeal, you know, appeal to me as a kid, even though this movie scared the shit out of me, I eventually came around to it. Um, but it is that kind of thing, like, oh, I wish this was real. I wish there was something more than, you know, growing up to being an adult and having a boring 95- 9 to 5. Like, I would rather help aliens give birth to squid their squid babies. <laughs> Okay, that scene also, like, forgot how much I loved, like, that scene for some reason was to me, like, aliens are real. It was something about, like, a woman giving birth to an alien. I don't know, like, I don't know, I don't know how to fully explain it, but, like, something about that legitimized it to me, and I was like, yep. This is it. Absolutely. And look, that's actually kind of a cute alien baby. Hell yeah. The cutest alien baby. So cute. I just loved the idea. I and I I loved reading about aliens. I like got books about aliens from the library as a kid. Like I was so into the idea and terrified of it at the same time, but like always was reading about aliens. Are you an X-Files girl? Oh yes, very much an X-Files girly. Both of my parents, like my mom and my stepdad and my dad both like all watched it. So I grew up on it whether I wanted to or not. And that's kind of what got me into aliens. So I have been an alien girly since I was like four. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I've always like loved aliens too, but that's I think because like a defining moment for my childhood was the movie Alien. Mm-hmm. Where it like recontextualized not just green men coming down in flying saucers, but Sort of like this movie, a thing that could be growing inside of you that you can't see. And so, like, after that, I was enamored with 
monstrous aliens, not necessarily the the mm-hmm. rumors of, you know, g- gray men and whatnot, but like the idea of aliens being literally alien and something that you can't understand. And I think that's probably why I also gravitated toward this movie, because the aliens in this are are not what we typically see in, in movies. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and Mary Beth sort of talked about that bureaucratic element, and that's mm-hmm. what makes it cool, you know. Um, it's like taking, obviously, an invasion of the body snatchers idea, yeah, uh, but giving it a real world spin, so to speak. And yeah, that's what makes it what it is. It's they're not just monsters; they're just they're just our intergalactic brethren <laughs> trying to live their lives trying to and, make it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trying to find their way home. It's it's interesting because uh, I so I remember seeing this in the movie theater and absolutely being in love with it. Um, I believe I probably watched it a few times on VHS, and then I have not revisited this movie since then. And I think I've seen the second one, but I know I haven't seen the third one because I, I completely forgot there was a third one. <laughs> um, but <laughs> and a fourth now, really? Men in Black International with Chris Hemsworth. Uh, it's not good supposedly i haven't seen any of the sequels i didn't i was not aware of that (laughs) (laughs) i think a lot of people weren't (laughs) (laughs) but uh so when we sat down to watch it last night for for prep and we get to the opening sequence of a man carting immigrants across the border Mm -hmm. i was like "Ooh, is this movie not gonna have aged (laughs) very well but i actually really like this opening scene where uh Kay says, keep on protecting us from the dangerous aliens mm-hmm. in in such a deadpan yet like sneering way to these cops that have, you know, stopped and they're going to send the people back. And I was like, ooh, this is actually kind of smart. And mm-hmm. then it takes that as like this idea that all of Earth is a place for people to find a refuge. And I thought that's really interesting and very progressive for a movie yeah. from the 90s. Yeah. The, the, oh, go ahead, Mary Beth. No, I was going to say this movie is incredibly progressive for the 90s. It holds up way more than I had expected. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. not movies well, like I, this. <laughs> yeah. I always sort of love that 90s girl power, you know, uh, third wave feminism thing. I love that Linda Florentino is like, or Fiorentino is like, <laughs> a woman can't be liberated with her sexuality or whatever she's saying when uh, the hand is around her neck. It's just a funny little um addition in there i will say her wearing the like the the mini dress as working as a morph tech is fucking hysterical i'm like baby baby girl baby baby sweet baby girl we know that no one wears this outfit in the lab like that's the 90s is right that's when the 90s really crept in and i was like well what can you do I, I love a weird lady mortician um, that's always, always great. And look, Laura Flynn Boyle in the second one has her tits out the whole time. So, you know, I, what's I hear, she, I hear she's mother. Is that, is, should I be watching that second it, one? You should. Okay. She's real, and she's in like black leather with her titties out the whole time and like okay. causing ruckus. And it's incredible. It's okay. causing ruckus. Good. I'm one, I, I'm a person who does not miss her in Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, so, uh, but I will give her a, you know, I, I'll see if I like her in Men in Black 2. But the politics of this movie, the only thing I have a little bit of an ick with is he introduces Will Smith as Mr. Black, and Black. then he introduces him as Mr. White, yes. and I'm like, what is this joke? What are we doing? It's a skin color joke. Come on, Rocco. It's it's so funny. It's funny. It's so funny. <laughs> I do like Will Smith saying it's raining black people in New York, though. That's really funny. 
that's okay. That was that was funny. Yeah. Uh, but I also the thing that hasn't really aged well for me is him being part of the NYPD. And oh, then yeah. like we don't know why he's chasing after this perp, and he yeah. just like slams him against the wall and says NYPD means I'll knock your punk ass down. And I'm like, a <laughs> cab. <laughs> Hey, he gets out of it. He goes into a shady government, a uh, non-government agency. Excuse me. Hey, so look, we all make mistakes. There, even Will Smith, there, especially there, Will Smith. For, for the for the way the bars on the floor in the '90s for movies like this, those are such like fair. That is not, and yeah. that is not excusing them. It's just so like it's so it's funny watch this and being like, wow, this could have been so much worse. Yeah. But actually, it doesn't like. Again, a lot of the I feel like this movie could have so easily punched down and made so mm-hmm. many terrible jokes mm-hmm. that I, I love how they kind of lean into more of Tommy Lee Jones's like very dry, like reciting of things like policy. And you're like, what the fuck is he talking about with no explanation? Yeah. <laughs> like it puts you so squarely in Will Smith's shoes of being like, I have no fucking idea what's going on. And I love how like that is the comedy of it. A lot mm-hmm. of the time it's just like how ridiculous the situations are, but how normal Kay seems to be about everything. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. And you're like, okay. And I love that. And I just, I didn't ever catch that about this movie when I was younger. And so watching it now, I feel like I just appreciate like, Obviously, the character dynamics, but there's a little bit more going on than the obvious, like, young, cool guy and old weirdo. Like, I like how they play with that dynamic even more. For me, Tommy Lee Jones, it doesn't matter the age. He is always the cool guy. <laughs> and he so. always looks like that. We were we were talking about him the other day, me and Terry. <laughs> what? <laughs> what I love about him is that... I, I feel like, so, you know, he's a character actor, right? He plays mm-hmm. this character and he is hired to play this kind of character. But yet he's a character actor who makes blockbusters and gets paid very well for it. Whereas mm-hmm. like typically character actors show up in like a movie and you're like, oh, it's that guy. Whereas this guy, he, this is his personality that he does at least in the, his later part of his career. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure about his earlier part, but like from like the nineties onward. I mean, you can kind of say he was kind of typecast in this kind of grumpy mm-hmm. old man type role, but he does it so well and he was making the big bucks and he just, I just, I love that he was a blockbuster character actor. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting because like he is the grumpy old man role, like the rules guy, but he also is a bit of a loose cannon. Yeah. So, and I think that is such an interesting dynamic that he's playing walking the line between those two things all the time i actually just watched the eyes of laura mars and that's the earliest i've seen him in anything totally disturbing to see him as a young man i don't it doesn't make any sense imagine (laughs) i've actually never seen that movie and i want to it's good he's looks the same his whole life it feels like like in every movie i feel like he just kind of looks like an old like craggy man who's like been through a lot of shit Oh, and the funny thing is, he's retiring at the end of this movie. He was, he had to be 49. He was 50 when this movie came out, 49, 50. I'm like, could you imagine a world where we get to retire at 50? Or retire at all? Like, wow. Please. <laughs> Capitalism. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, you did kind of bring up something that I was thinking about as I was as I was mm-hmm. watching this and taking notes last night, is that what I think this movie does incredibly well is that it allows both characters to sort of play the the straight man as well as the, like funny man because mm-hmm. like there's a lot of times where, where uh will smith is our entry point of this world and so he is reacting like i don't understand what's happening and we're mm-hmm. acting like that because tommy lee jones is just he's very deadpan but he's very funny and he's allowed to do these very silly things and so we kind of follow will smith but then of course 
because Tommy Lee Jones is so stone faced and a lot of times he is also like the straight man. So like it's not just like an odd couple where it's like one is one and one is the other. They kind of interchange it. And I think that's I think it's so fascinating and creates a, a fun kind of different dynamic than I'm than I'm used to in these type of buddy comedy movies. Yeah, I I, I would say you really I mean, I, I sound like a old boomer now, but I'm like, I feel like you really <laughs> don't find chemistry like this anymore. You don't have movie stars like this anymore. Will Smith, like he got this role, I think, because Steven Spielberg, I'm saying something wrong. Somebody very involved liked him on um, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Like this is like the real start for me of Will Smith's box office, Mm -hmm. you know, stardom. Um, He's at the height of his charisma here. Yeah, I just think this is a movie where you can see two stars firing on all cylinders and it's all about their chemistry and you really don't get that in other places. And well, you don't really don't get that anymore, in my opinion. I agree. Yeah. And I <laughs> wanted to say also, uh, this is by Barry Sonnenfeld, who I just revisited both Adam's family movies. So the good. dude, he's kind of like the poor man's Tim Burton, but like in the early 90s, he could not fail. Like he knew exactly what to do with this material. His filmography is kind of cursed now. <laughs> but yeah. you know, up till this point. Just amazing stuff, um, and just the perfect tone, and very smart, uh, but also He's cartoonish. In Wild West. Yeah. Who? Yeah, he did Wild Wild West. Barry Sonnenfeld. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was the beginning of the end. I think. I uh-huh. love that movie. I love that movie. I know it's not good, but I just yeah. really enjoy it. That's good. He is cartoonish. He hits a very interesting cartoonish mm-hmm. vibe, and it, like he hits that like adult cartoon vibe very yeah. well, and I love that for him. It's an intro. It's. I feel like that's a really hard. Now that I think about it, it is a kind of a hard tone to strike. Absolutely, and and the way also that he sort of we talked about things being slightly dated. Um, I think there's like a Michael Jackson joke in the Adams Family Values. There's the CD joke in here, like oh, this little disc is going to replace CDs soon. Um, Barry Sonnenfeld stuff. There are those little jokes in there that kind of I feel like do date it um, in a way mm-hmm. that Tim Burton doesn't have those. You know. But they're very similar, obviously, especially because of their Danny Elfman connection. Yes. The opening mm. of this is pure Tim Burton with so following good. the insect. I, yeah. I loved it watching this as an adult, though, because you see the stars and you know it's an alien movie. Mm-hmm. And so you're watching this and you're just like, OK, where's the UFO? And it's just this insect. And it it's smart because it, it, it reverses expectations of seeing mm-hmm. some kind of like UFO crashing. But then also the movie is about bugs. And so mm-hmm. I love that it's it sort of like. It's sort of like a, you know, a, a subverting your expectations about what's what the movie is going to start with, but then also being like foreshadowing that, no, we're going to be about bugs. And I love that we follow lots this of, insect lots with bugs. <laughs> lots of bugs. We follow this insect with Danny Elfman's majestic score. I, the moment I, I would, again, have not seen this movie in forever, but the moment that score came out, I was like, ah, oh, yes, I remember this so much. Absolutely. Nothing brings me back to childhood like a Danny Elfman score. You Seriously. Know, Batman and Robin, not Batman and Robin. I love Batman and Robin. Same year as this, actually. 1997 was a banner year for me. Um, <laughs> for little Rocco. Um, uh, but uh, uh, which one is it? Batman Returns, especially. Mm, um, mm-hmm. That was a big film for my childhood. And yeah, Danny Elfman, I, I just, I miss his work. I know he does stuff still, but in this early 90s period, just the, the dark whimsy that he created and the, yes. the tone that he gave to every single one of his movies, like it, it brings me right back to being a kid. And I love that. Same. Score of my life, like as a kid, for sure. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. 
I played some of his music at my wedding because I was like, everyone So Yeah, during like the dinner service, we had I had like horror soundtracks playing. So there were some of his iconic songs playing whilst we ate. That is so great. Um, I also kind of wanted to say like how big this movie was. It was everywhere. Um, I mean, mm. it was the third highest grossing film of 1997 and the ninth highest grossing film of the decade won Best Makeup and was nominated for Best Art Direction and Best Original Score at the Academy Awards. And going back to my Catholic school, so I don't think I had seen the film yet, uh, but uh, we always had an eighth grade versus faculty basketball game, (laughs) which I think was, you know, a fundraiser thing. Um, And the eighth graders that year were called the Kids in Black. And I remember them singing the song (laughs) and everything in suits before I'd even seen the movie. So it was inescapable. Again, it's that era of having the catchy-ass song that plays everywhere that is, like, directly written for the movie and is, like, about the movie. Like, it's Ghostbusters. I mean, Men in Black. And it's so catchy. And it's Will Smith, and he was, like, hot with his music career, too. It was just, like, it is such a 1997 movie, if you really think. Like, everything about it, like, is so 1997, and I kind of love that. It's very, it's, like... Wow, look at the world before where, like, the 2000s hit and everything kind of started, like, fully, like, really, I mean, not that things were great, but, you know, I don't know. It feels very, like, of that era. Yeah. And it's so cool in and a super, weird way. And interestingly transitional, though, especially with the effects, yeah. because, you know, the effects mm-hmm. were, yeah. well, Rick Baker's there, obviously, to do the practical effects, um, but you also have Industrial Light and Magic, George Lucas's effects studio there i think i actually read that the bug at the end was they actually had a fully animatronic version yeah but they swapped it out for the cgi version and like looking back on it the cgi is pretty rough i think especially (laughs) that that screensaver it ends on with the earth inside the marble (laughs) it's so bad but i love it (laughs) i love the the i love what it's saying but it is watching it now it really I was like, ooh, yeah, yeah, the CG, the last, the okay, so I think the, the, the effects looked really good throughout most of the movie to the mm-hmm. point where um, there were times where it was like, I, I can't tell if this is a practical effect or mm-hmm. if this is CG. And it inserted them, except for a couple times with the, the coffee aliens when they're walking through, um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what they're called, but the little little sluggy like coffee aliens that are my were my favorite as a kid when they're walking through the the facility towards the end of the film i was like Ooh, that's a little iffy but other than that like the way that they inject the cg with the practical effects in here looks better than a lot of movies today for me it does and that's it's what d- surprises me yeah and lot. it still it still has that handmade thing like even the cgi you can tell it was made by human hands also a mm-hmm. big part of it is all of this was filmed on location in New York. It was not yeah. in a garage in Atlanta someplace. Yep. So, I mean, even that bug scene at the end, you have this giant CGI bug, of course, who's the villain. But I was just shocked. Like, oh, wait, an actual background does so much. Like, it does. It's incredible. The sense of scale, I think, is something that even though we have big blockbusters now, mm-hmm. I, I feel it has been lost because it is just people standing in a sound screen and there's mm-hmm. no connection to the outside world. And Every single time I see stuff, I can always feel like they're standing in front of a green screen or a blue screen or an mm-hmm. LCD screen or whatever they're using f- to, you know, project images. But 
in this particularly, I I really there's the the scene that you can obviously tell that it is green screen when they shoot at the the UFO and it's like coming down mm-hmm. and it crashes through mm-hmm. the thing and crashes in the ground in front of them and they're obviously standing in front of a screen and yet it feels more realistic than a lot of the 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 same kind of things they do today and it just made me appreciate the scale of movies and the the you mentioned Rocco had the handmade mm-hmm. the handmade feel of movies that I I honestly do feel is missing in blockbusters today for the most yeah. part and and that's the thing CGI is supposed to be a tool it's not supposed to be the whole thing like yeah. Yeah. here here you do have CGI aliens but you have some practical aliens and you have mm-hmm. all of those handmade like weapons and doodads that are all over the place like there's just so yeah. much texture and so much character from the New York setting you know it wasn't even supposed to be set in New York Barry Sonnenfeld yeah. wanted it set in New York because it's kind of a funny joke and it's a lot of the jokes in this movie. It's like, oh, New York's so weird. New Yorkers wouldn't notice aliens. They wouldn't New York notice. Is so crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, all that texture goes a long way. And then like you can appreciate the CGI even when it's a little wonky because you still have the sense that it's, I don't know, something is there. Light is hitting objects around it. <laughs> yeah. Someone has labored over this thing. It's just not computer generated glop and, you know, somebody on uh, wires. So, yeah. Or tennis ball on a stick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then also, I love that we're covering people in slime. Like, I love that when yes! that first alien dies yes. and, oh. and it's like silly, str- like blue silly string all over everything. Favorite. And it's just yeah. hanging from his hat. My yeah. favorite moment. <laughs> I just love, I love good slime. That was one of the moments that was like seared in my head as a kid for some bizarre reason. And so when I was watching it, I was like, <laughs> I totally remember the, the blue silly string hanging from his, yeah. his hat. It's so... It's so real in there. Yeah. Yeah. I miss that. And I love any time that they wipe people's memories when he's when he's doing it to um, Linda Fiorentino. And he's like, you're going to give her brain cancer. It's the funniest thing to me. Did any of you ever uh, go to Universal Studios and do the ride, the Men in Black ride? No. Yes. Oh, my God. So I, I only have gone to Universal Studios once, but I did. The Men Same. in Black ride was one of my favorite rides. It was great. From what I remember, it was a really good ride. And I was so stoked to do it because I had like, I love Men in Black. I loved the second Men in Black. I love the TV show. So I was like so excited to do it. It was like a like an interactive roller coaster type thing, I think. I remember mm-hmm. it being. And it was it was neat. See, going back wanted... to like the coffee, the coffee worms or whatever they are, the TV show ruined those for me because those little fuckers were all over that cartoon. They you could not get enough of them and they annoyed the piss out of me. So, See, that's, even as a kid. Honestly. <laughs> That's the problem with commercialization because yeah. like it's a it's a yes. moment that is so small and like it's funny. I love them in this movie. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, people like that. We should just up them and make them, you know, everywhere. And that's mm-hmm. what it ruins the charm that they have, in my opinion. And you see that happen in a lot of movies, particularly when like kids are like, oh, I like that. It's like, well, that's what's going to get the kids in the seat. So we're going to like amp it up. Well, that oh, and Frank the Pug, too, didn't it? I was like, about they, to say. Yeah, because yeah, they Frank did the that because they, they oh, I, cause again, I kept getting the first and second one mixed up watching this because I was like, why isn't Frank in this more? I was like, oh, and the second one is when they bring him in. Because that's also, I saw this around the time I also saw Little Nicky, which also had a talking like demon bulldog so i got all of my weird fucked up wrinkly dogs in new york city mixed up (laughs) with each other um but frank like all of the sudden became like a big character because it was a talking dog like he he hoo hoo cultural icon frank the pug (laughs) 
But he's only in this movie for two seconds, and they two shake seconds. him around a bunch, and it goes oh little bloody. He is actually that is he is actually shaking that poor dog. Like it's not that is not. I, I I'm watching it last night. You can tell it's a real dog the whole time. It doesn't cut away or anything. That terrible CGI mouth. Okay, but honestly, kind of like I was about to ask that talking about the effects, that flappy mouth is almost better than like the Disney Lady and the Tramp remake they did with fully CGI dogs. Oh. Honestly, oh. fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. It was just so funny just to be like, I just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny. But yeah, fuck. I, I, and I love the second one too. I, I haven't, I haven't seen it in a long time, so I can't remember it, but I just remember um, dying at a joke because one of the aliens is called a ball chinian and it has an <laughs> alien with testicles for a chin. And my stepdad always used to, my stepdad, because, you know, grown men would pause it and we'd all giggle. And he's like, look, there's a hair on it. And would like make jokes about there being pubic hair on this alien's chin. Yeah. What are, so, what are, what are y'all's favorite aliens in the movie? Or Mary Beth, you did answer this, the, the Balchinian, but is there anything in here that you're particularly um, drawn to? Any background characters? I really love the tiny little alien. And like, because it's, I love the tiny little alien because I loved that, but I also love that the prince. The, two of them, the prince, but then the really tall guy was in Twin Peaks and he plays a he character in Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah. Carol Strukin. He's one of those guys I feel bad for because I feel like they cast him because he looked, he, he has a very distinctive look and he, I think he literally has giantism. So he has like a very distinct look he's and I feel foot. bad that he's always cast as like, the weird character. I think they say yeah. in this, there's quite a bone structure going on here. Yes. Oh, yes, they do. And I'm just like, this poor dude. I just like, there's a part of me that's just like, I mean, good for you, but also yeah, like, you're so always He works cast. all the time. He works all the time. He's <laughs> also in Gerald's Game. Yeah. He was the great, Moonlight Man. I love Gerald's Game. I love that film. I love that. Like he's yeah. always like the weird harbinger of doom or like <laughs> of some weird message in the moonlight. And it's like, well, I mean, I get I, it works. I also love the He's cat. He's great. Orion, the, the cat. cat. Oh, yeah. It's really cool. It's a good cat. It's a good cat. What's the name of the blue alien at the beginning who is one of the immigrants? I can't remember. Um, oh, yeah. I really um, like him, though. Mike, his name's Mikey. Yes. Yes, Mikey. Oh, love and my other, my other favorite is um, in the second one when it's like Kay has gotten and is working at a, po- like a, a post office now. There's an alien that has a bunch of arms and sorts all the mail and you just see him like throwing all the mail. And like, as a kid, I just thought that was like so neat. He had a lot of arms. Terry, what do you specific, like? Specific job. <laughs> There's one shot when Jay and Kay are walking through the headquarters. And it's, I think it's the first time that, that we're seeing like all the aliens just sort of milling about. And there's one that looks almost like a, like a caterpillar or something. Yeah. It's like kind of whitish. Don't talk and it to looks, him. He's yeah. grouchy. Yes. Yeah. Boy. Yeah. The big caterpillar. I thingy. loved him. I was like, yes. that is a really cool design. And that is what, uh, that is what I, I liked as, as an adult, as a kid, I probably liked those little alien things and the, the bug, the bug at the end, um, which has not aged a hundred percent. Well, but I don't know. I kind of, I like, I think his expressions are really good. They I don't are. know. Like he looks, he looks a little wonky, but they really, I mean, it, they put so much effort into making it work. And I think it ultimately does work. Like it, I think it ultimately does work. Cause like, I can tell again, they designed, they tried really hard to design it. I just, mm-hmm. it, I don't think it fit the 
the world very well. I mm-hmm. think it, maybe it was like, hmm. Well, I know what you're saying because everything is so imaginative and weird that like a giant cockroach is not that interesting. Yeah, it's that- like everything else is like so visually interesting and yeah. like kind of different and whimsical and this one feels very like sci-fi and like this mm-hmm. is i know this is a sci-fi movie but it's like whimsical sci-fi and that yeah. felt more like it's this is a very weird way to describe it but like this movie feels a little bit softer and like the cockroach feels very pointy and sharp so it doesn't feel like it mm-hmm. fits in the world as well to me that's a very weird way to describe it no i think that's I, completely fair. makes sense i i think what for me also, just because there's a lot of buildup to what is inside Edgar, because mm-hmm. we only see like that arm yeah. come up and grab him and we see like him inside and we see Edgar's body literally like rotting. Like I was mm-hmm. I was watching this as an adult thinking, man, he they are really pushing the zombie aspect of it because his eyes get yeah. kind of cloudy and and you see them get progressively more cloudy as the mm-hmm. movie goes on and his skin is just looks more rotted like it's decaying and so like you see this and you see that moment that you mentioned Rocco where like the thing comes out as he's attacking the, the tow truck guy so and scary I'm like, what is happening here and so you see all these like little hints of it and then at the end it's like this just this giant cockroach and I, yeah. I don't know it kind of loses it for me as an adult I don't think I, I really cared about it as a kid like I was like ooh, this is exciting but as an adult, I'm like, I, it just, I don't know. It, it feels, it feels kind of a letdown after this sort of buildup of what is inside this man that is causing his body to do this for me. Yeah, definitely as a reveal, it's not amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also this is funny. Um, so I definitely got some toys of this before I'd even seen the end of the film. Um, uh-huh. And I remember having um, Vincent D'Onofrio's uh, bug truck. Uh, extermination truck and I all it went, and inside of it was the flying saucer and it opened up and the cockroach was in there I did not know what he was I had no fucking clue until I actually sat down and watched the movie <laughs> again so because you know I missed the last 15 minutes because right. I was too scared right. <laughs> that's incredible some of the little asides in this movie kill me i love when the um what are they the archillians are are threatening to destroy the earth and they get this one message it says deliver get the galaxy your earth will be destroyed sorry (laughs) it's just that little sorry at the end that i'm like oh that little detail and like that's what makes it feel so lived in to me it's like not these like typical like scary it's like they're more they feel more human which sounds funny but like they don't feel like these big scary monsters but more like they're just creatures trying to live their lives and like get shit Mm -hmm. done you know what i mean they're just like look we don't have an agenda other than like please don't let this bug like kill everybody (laughs) like (laughs) sorry and i i like that having aliens feel again more normal and and not alien and also just you know smart writing we're so you know cinema is so marvelized now and it's all well that happened sort of comedy but this is a really clever, really funny script. I and mm-hmm. you just have really good actors in these roles. Like I, I laughed out loud at Rip Torn saying, "May I ask why you felt little Tiffany deserved to die?" <laughs> May I ask why little Tiffany deserved to die? We're not hosting an intergalactic kegger here. We're not hosting an intergalactic. Oh my god, his voice is so iconic. I love it so, so much. God damn. Oh. R.I.P. Rip Torn. 
Yes. I love Jay's response to that, though, because it made sense. It's like, yeah, the guy has a tissue. The other one's just doing pull ups. And then this little girl is reading quantum physics. That's 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 wrong. Never trust a little white girl. Don't do it. No. Trouble will follow. As someone who was a little white girl. (laughs) (laughs) And I love, oh my God, the scene where they're taking the test and they're on the egg chairs is just such brilliant physical comedy. From all these no-name actors, they're all just... Yes. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's such a good critique of, like, government bureaucracy Mm -hmm. and, like, Mm -hmm. such a a wild way. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh no, we're not government funded uh we uh, uh, they ask too many questions like i just it's a it's a really smart critique on like government bureaucracy i think and i vibe with it it's the little visual things too the, mm-hmm. when when will smith's character walks into the place the first time and it's just this man sitting in a chair and there's these two giant fans just yeah. blowing i'm like what is going on here? But I love it. It's never explained. It doesn't tie into the story no. whatsoever. It's just the security guard sitting there in between two giant fans. Great. Everyone needs to watch this movie and then play Control. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Yes. I've been meaning to play it for years. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Is it? Okay. But then with the, the egg chairs, I love the image of, of Will Smith just getting up, grabbing that table and dragging it. And it's so loud. Yeah. It's like, it's just it's such a, a good comedic moment that that doesn't require jokes. It's just so funny. The visual yeah. storytelling is great. Want to get in on this? And they're just like. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. And like the thing is, it's a very it's it's a lean hour and 38 minutes. And yes. I feel like it covers a lot of ground. Like we've lost. I, 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 I will talk about this till the cows come home just about how movies just used to be better you know like Mm -hmm. the script is full of jokes but they're all pretty smart jokes there's a lot of visual jokes going on and like mary beth said it's a critique of bureaucracy you get a lot of character work especially with uh k about his wife his wife that he misses and stuff all visually and it's just Mm -hmm. enough you know it's just a really for all that's going on in front of the screen and all the effects that are happening, there's like beautiful simplicity about it as well. Like it's just a sleek, smartly written script um, and a well-told story. And I think I really miss that. (laughs) Blockbuster filmmaking in the nineties was unmatched. So unmatched. Yeah. I love the tabloids again, visual joke. Yeah. Like it explains the world. It's funny. It's something that we're familiar with. Yeah. We see those all over the shopping malls and all that kind of stuff. But I love that in this world, when you think about it, Batboy is real. Because yeah. in this world, he would be real. Yeah. And I just love that. And Elvis is still alive. Yeah. Love that. Love that. A line that really stood out to me, though, and uh, a person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous yes. animals. It hit me like a ton of bricks. <laughs> Now that I'm thinking about it, I because one of the things that I used to say in my teen years and into my early 20s was I hate people, but I love persons. And I honestly oh. think that that's probably from this. <laughs> no, they stole it from you, Terry. They did. <laughs> Purely my own thought. <laughs> it's your intellectual property. Sue. Yes, I'm going to sue them. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> one, one final thing. I Linda Fiorentino. I feel like her career was sidelined by men because mm. apparently because like I was like was she in the sequel? She wasn't in the sequel. <gasps> apparently. That's Rosaria Dawson. And 
Tommy Lee Jones did not get along. And so <gasps> the rumor has it that Tommy Lee Jones would only come back to do the sequel if she wasn't there. And then in 1999, she did Dogma with Kevin Smith. And he has he went on like a podcast or something and said, like, he's talked about how difficult she was to work with. Shit. And then she hasn't made any movies since 2009. I hate that. I hate that bullshit. It's the Megan Fox effect, you know, a woman mm-hmm. stands up for herself or doesn't agree with a director and she's blacklisted. Yeah, because like she literally 1999 and then she had a couple movies in 2000 and one in 2002 and then huh. she did one movie in 2009 and then that was it. That's it. So, But there is there is a female agent in the second one, Mary Beth, right? But it's Rosario Dawson, you said? Well, Rosario Dawson's the love interest. She's not another oh. agent because okay. I believe, I think Patrick Warburton is his, like, it's two, <laughs> Jay has a, a male uh, partner, and then Rosario Dawson is the love interest. She's not an agent, but she comes in earlier, okay. and she is, hmm. yeah. That really sucks. And see, that's such a 90s thing, too, at the end of the movie. It's like, ladies can be agents, too, you know, like... <laughs> Just kidding. Next yeah, couple years later. <laughs> she's written off the show. Oh, she left. She Girl left the agency power, to go not. back to join the morgue. Is I think well, how she was written off. And like also the I th- I I honestly and truly feel like the the Men in Black 2, as much as I loved it when I was younger, like I clicked on it on Hulu just to start watching the beginning just to be sure. And like literally Lara Flynn Boyle starts out in like lingerie and like is naked and then immediately gets attacked by a man. Like it's so 2002. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they like regressed in the politics of it. They definitely like, did. You went from like having some funny critiques to like really weird, annoying sex jokes. And it's just like. Well, yeah, it's almost like, oh, you women want to be sexually liberated. Well, here comes American Pie to make you look like fools for being sexually liberated. You know, we're going to (laughs) take advantage of you. It's really fucked up. Yeah, the 2000s were really rough. (laughs) So (laughs) the girl power 90s were preferable to me, but. (laughs) But see, I also really liked Linda. Thanks, (laughs) 9-11. Yeah, right? Seriously. It's it is it's true. I could talk Everything. about that for I could talk about that for years. Oh yeah, me too, me too. <laughs> but I think she's really funny. I think she's really funny in in Men in Black. Lord, she's Linda great. Fiorentino. I think she has a she matches Tommy Lee Jones's deadpan delivery so well. I just I love her. I loved her. I was like I was really impressed with her. And that's like what else has she been in? And then that's when I realized, oh yeah, yep. Yeah, she's fabulous in this, but it's a shame. It's a shame. I think she's incredibly underutilized in the movie too. But she is. It's a guy, it's a guy story. I know. Can't be perfect. <laughs> Can't be perfect. It's a movie for the boys. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me want to go watch Jade though, because I think she was the star in that, and I think that's an erotic thriller from '95 by William Friedkin. Oh yeah, I think that's. I've heard really bad things, but I've always meant to see it as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard terrible things about that. I love a bad movie, though. I, I you know, I, oh, yeah. bad reviews are not going to keep me away from a movie. So, <laughs> On that note, do we want to wrap up and give this our rating out of five? Yeah. Sounds good to me. All right, Terry, um, you're up first. How many ill-fitting skin suits out of five do you give Men in Black? I think this movie is a blast. Uh, it has aged incredibly well. Um, I think it's funny. I think the action is great. I think the the scale of it is fantastic. I man, I'll tell you, I could watch 
Vincent D'Onofrio do physical humor all day long after seeing this. I was just so surprised and delighted that he was Edgar because I never I didn't realize that as a kid. I think this movie is fantastic. I wish more movies that were blockbusters were doing the same kind of mix of being satirical, being funny, being filmed in the real world. Mm -hmm. So I I, I have to give this four. I'm going to give it four ill-fitting skin suits uh, out of five. What about you, Mary Beth? I'm also going to give it four ill-fitting skin suits. I was not sure how it was going to hold up, and it held up super well. I was pretty impressed. Um... For a 1997, like, mid-budget, like, I don't know, huge budget, but like, mid-ish budget, buddy alien movie, (laughs) and I love that it's still as good as I remember it being from when I was a kid. Um, I love when movies can do that, and I love when Mm -hmm. movies have that kind of power, because a lot of movies don't have that kind of staying power, and uh, yeah. But Rocco, you have the final word. How many ill-fitting skin suits do you give Men in Black? (laughs) So coming into this, I probably would have given it four, but, you know, talking it over with you fine folk, I do think it sort of, you know, stands as a monument to a type of blockbuster filmmaking that is dead. I mean, the the two towers, the twin towers are in this film, you know, yeah, we they lost sure are. 9-11 was not the cause, obviously, of the Marvel emergence, <laughs> but, which, by the way, this is a Marvel movie. Yeah. <laughs> And what do you mean? It's, oh, yeah, because it's a based on a comic book shit. <laughs> That's owned by Marvel. And Marvel right. is literally in the beginning based okay. on the Marvel comic. No, no, Terry. It's a Marvel please. movie. Ter- Terry, no, don't. I don't want to know that. <laughs> I wanted to forget. Um, I mean, maybe, 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 maybe the the 9-11 is responsible for the MCU, but that's a paper by somebody else, not by me. But I, I do think, you know, you know that... <laughs> the last vestige of this kind of big budget filmmaking with um, interesting ideas, a mix of CGI and practical effects, like the perfect sweet spot between the two, um, with actual stars at the height of their star wattage, giving their all to it. Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment, like the height of his producing ability. I think I have to give it five skin suits out of five because <laughs> there's nothing else like it anymore. Hell yeah. Yeah. And by the way, it brought me back to being a kid watching it, I have Did to it? say. Well, a teen. But yeah, it brought me back that feeling like it just it just unlocked that memory. So I yeah, fantastic. But thank you so much, Rocco, for joining us to talk about Men in Black. Where yes, can our listeners find you. you? And the floor is yours. What what do you want to plug and talk about? Yeah. Well, first of all, please follow the Lady Killers, a feminine rage podcast. Um, we are at the Lady K Pod on Instagram, Twitter. Um, I believe maybe Blue Sky, if anyone's on there. <laughs> um, you know, wherever you... And, you know, give us a rating. I love a rating. Um, I, we need more ratings and reviews. Um, you can also follow me at Rocco T. Thompson on Twitter, especially if you are interested in celebrity thirst. You know, <laughs> men are meant to be objectified. Ask ladies before you objectify them. But men, it's, you know... <laughs> Free, free, a free for free all. Free for all. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I am at Rosemary's Gaby on uh, Instagram and Letterboxd. I love, I love that. Very good. That very, very good. It's a great handle. <laughs> Thank you. Well, listeners, you have heard from us, but we only want to hear from you. What was your experience with Men in Black? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com. 
Or you can let us know on social media. I am at mbmcandrews on Twitter, and I am at mb.mcandrews on Instagram. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful everywhere. And of course, follow the podcast on socials. We are at Scarred Podcast on Twitter and Blue Sky, and at Scarred for Life Podcast on Instagram. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want to help support us, we do have a Patreon. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Kelly for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time.